You're listening to Wealth Tech on Deck, a podcast about the future of wealth management technology, brought to you by Life Yield. Here's your host, Jack Sherry. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast, Wealth Tech on Deck, where we talk with the industry leaders around our industry about the future of digital and human advice. Today, we are talking with Danny Fava. Danny is the head of strategic development at InvestNet, a longtime uh, advocate uh, working with TD Ameritrade. I'm sure she'll touch on that a little bit. And now at, at InvestNet. So uh, Danny is a highly regarded industry voice on the topic we're here to talk about today, which is the future of technology and, and advice and how they all come together. So Danny, welcome. Good to have you here. Thanks so much, Jack. It's great to be here. Yeah, we'll have some fun. So let's start. Uh, why don't you provide our audience with some perspective on how you got here? You've been someone who's been uh, well-known and well-regarded in the business for a long time. So a little bit of a highlights tour, brief highlights tour of where you've been and how you wound up on this podcast. Yeah, the Danny Fava origin story. I, <laughs> I, I'd love to tell it. I'll try to, I will try to keep it brief. So I would consider my path to have been non-traditional into uh, finance and wealth management. I remember when I was very young, my dad... And I'm on the poor dad side of rich dad, poor dad. My dad used to say, have a saying that, that went, money goes to money. And he said it often. And I never knew what it meant. I have a firmer understanding now about what he meant. But I, I just knew this meant that I should be around money. <laughs> and I Great. majored in finance and uh, went after college, took my first job at an investment manager in New York City, and I was a trade support specialist. And for those of you who know me, you know, I had my daughter very young. And so I was a young, single, working mom, traveling, commuting into Manhattan every day. And what I did was when I got into the office, I had to run a bunch of reports and print out all of these reports for um, all the traders on the floor. And so how I got into wealth tech was I hacked the system that I used to run these reports. And I pretty much scheduled these jobs to run on their own and print out on their own. And I would be able to spend more time at home with my daughter and come into work later. And no one was the wiser because all of my reports were done. And um, the firm that I hacked called me one day and I was real nervous. I said, oh no, I'm in trouble. So <laughs> they said, you know, we see that you've scheduled these things to run on your own. And, and then they offered me a job. So that's how I got into, that's, great. that's my non-traditional path origin story into financial technology. Gotcha. Gotcha. And a little bit more, what, how did you wind up at TD and how do you invest in that? Maybe a little bit more about that. Yeah. So at TD Ameritrade, um, I was hired at TD Ameritrade about 10 years ago to build iRebal. I was kind of a rebalancing and trading specialist and TD Ameritrade had a, had a specific need. They wanted to launch a web-based rebalancing platform. And so I started at TD Ameritrade with that job, spent a few years with a great team building and launching iRebal on Veo. And as I launched iRebal, I got to learn so much about the advisor space, about what independent advisors were doing, about what made them special, about all of their inefficiencies. And going through the launch 
of this rebalancing system, I started to say to myself, hey, I, I have all of these ideas on how we can make advisors better and more efficient and able to serve their clients using technology. And I kind of really started tugging at my boss to say, hey, give me a bigger role. I want to be, I want an innovation role. I want to build cool technology to help advisors. And that boss, who's now one of my best friends, he made that space for me. He made me the director of innovation. They gave me some freedom to go out there and build. And that's kind of what I've been doing since then. And now I'm the head of strategic development at InvestNet doing a lot of the same things. Gotcha. So you're a real pioneer in this thing we call the confluence of human and digital advice about how to leverage technology to pr provide a better level of advice. That's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> That's, great. That's great. Talk a little bit about what you're doing at InvestNet. I know as we've talked, your job is to figure out what's coming three to five years out. So talk a little bit about that. What is, What sort of stuff do you look at? What do you think about? Who do you talk to? All that kind of stuff. So first, let me start by saying I consider myself extremely fortunate. I have such a fun job and I'm, you know, learning and, and doing cool things every day. So, yes, it's my job to figure out where the industry is going, what the trends are, not only in the advisor space, but also in consumer finance. So I kind of have this theory uh, that has become more true over the last, I would say, 10 to 15 years that the advisor space is really following the consumer finance trends, right? And I'll give one quick example that, that can be debated, but I really think cryptocurrency is going to be the best example of this. We see things that are happening in consumer finance that are happening in consumer behavior and social behavior that are then sort of leading into the advisor world and the advisors need to transform what they're doing because of these new consumer behaviors. Impact investing is another great example of how a consumer or social movement and behavior has kind of made its way into the advisor space in a very meaningful way. So it's kind of my job to follow those trends to really keep my finger on the pulse of what's happening in society, in consumer behavior, and, and inside of fintech, and to be able to kind of foresee how that is going to transform advisor tech and, and perhaps invent how it should transform advisor tech to a, to a large degree. And, you know, this all kind of ties together very nicely with InvestNet's mission, which is why I work at InvestNet, by the way. I love their mission and I'm very aligned personally with what InvestNet is trying to do as a company. And that is to make financial wellness a reality for everyone. How can InvestNet serve the needs of our consumers and enable financial wellness for everyone, every single person out there? It's a big mission. That's great and fun. If I could just back up a little bit. So you're Paying attention to trends, consumer trends, advisor trends, I'm sure fintech trends, you know, the, those of us that serve that marketplace. Uh, how do you do that? Uh, is it conversation? Is it reading? All the above? All of the above. It is especially um, making my compliance department crazy. I'm really good at that. <laughs> the way that I do that is I pretty much download and try every app I can find that I think will impact social behavior or, or consumer finance. And that includes things more recently like Clubhouse and Public and Rally Road, anything cryptocurrency related. I am trying everything out there and trying to figure out how it can 
enable financial wellness and how advisors might leverage it in the future. And I have this kind of overarching concept that I'd love to talk about that comes right from our CEO, Bill Krager. And it's this concept of an intelligent, connected financial life, right? So while I'm traversing all of these apps and I'm playing around on Yodly Insights, which I love and I'll talk a little bit about while I'm trying, you know, the new features in mint.com or I'm doing some alternative investing using Rally Road, I'm thinking about this concept of an intelligent, connected financial life. And what that is, is how we have all of these kind of these financial happenings that are going on in our current life. And we have all of these sort of plans and dreams about our future life. And, you know, we have all of these separate apps that manage these things that are happening today. We have apps or things we do that manage what's going to happen in the future. And this whole concept of bringing the two sides together in one place to make this all work seamlessly as a connected financial life, as kind of like the killer app. um, That's this concept that I'm always thinking about and circling around. And I really think InvestNet is in the best position to to solve that. So that's going to be a bit challenging. I'm going to push back a little bit. InvestNet's bought a lot of stuff, Money Guide and Yodley and Tamarack and the list goes on, all good stuff. And the challenge, of course, is integrating all that. And to your point of that killer app, which needs to draw on all the above and and a lot more, how do you translate that? That's got to be a challenge because given the success of InvestNet, I'm sure – Tech resources are at a premium. In fact, I know they are. So how do you translate your bright ideas, which I have no doubt are fabulous, how do you turn that into code and into a user experience? Yeah. I mean, I think, Jack, that's the hardest part, right? And nothing nothing worth doing is easy. So we expect it to be difficult and we probably spend um, you know, most of every day working on the answer to that question. From my perspective... One of the things that I that I love to do and that I think I I bring to a larger company is experimentation, right? I think that is one of the most important things about getting something right, about moving the ball forward, about making progress. And I think it's one of the things that a lot of people in our industry are really afraid of, especially the bigger brands, right? It's very hard to be a well-known established company with thousands of customers, millions of customers, and then say, I'm an experiment and I might fail. But I, I do think it still remains one of the most important things that we can do is get out there, put things together, try, fail, learn, iterate. That is the way that I kind of view my job and, and, takes a lot of energy for me to kind of combat people on this, you know, oh, but what happens if, if we fail? And I'm like, yes, well, if we fail, we'll, we'll learn and we'll celebrate the failure and, you know, we'll try again. There are certainly things in this industry that make that harder. <laughs> the, the press, for example. You, you don't want to name names, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Investnet creates the space to do this. We're always thinking and trying and I really, really believe we're going to get it right. I really believe we're going to solve this problem of this intelligent, connected 
financial life. And I think you're going to start seeing some really exciting things coming out of Investnet in the very near future, depending on when this podcast is dropped, maybe even <laughs> maybe even Great. in the very recent past. <laughs> Inquiring minds need to know. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about that. That's really interesting because uh, they certainly picked the right person to figure this stuff out and then advocate uh, within. That sounds like a big part of your role. And then prioritization and budgets and all the rest of that stuff follow. Talk a little bit more about what that sort of uh, experimentation looks like. Is that biting off a little proof of concept or what What does that look like in reality in terms of trying ideas out? Yeah. So the first misconception about experimentation is that you need to have some kind of a technology out there that you've built and that works. And I don't believe that. I believe that experimentation can happen through a lot of conversations, a lot of surveys, voice of the client. It can happen through drawings, wireframes. Um, It can happen through just collaborating over an existing app, you know, um, It can happen over giving pieces of data in very raw format to advisors over email. You know, we have a a great analytics product and a great analytics dashboard, but the way that that starts is just by providing the data in its raw format to an advisor and then saying, look at this data, does it help you? That is a form of experimentation and a very low tech form of experimentation at that. And then, you know, the next step is the UX design. And a lot of people ask me, you know, if you're starting an innovation lab, what's one of the the most crucial pieces that you want to add first? One of my answers is user experience. And I'm very fortunate at InvestNet to work with a great group of UX designers who can kind of listen to an idea and turn out some pretty high fidelity screens pretty quickly And that's a form of experimentation, right? We put those in front of advisors, in front of customers, and learn from those. And that, to me, is all of how we iterate and experiment before we ever build. I think that that works well. Another thing that Investment is really great at doing is, as you know, we've grown through acquisition. I think that will continue to some extent. And we're really great at sort of partnering with with other businesses that that sit outside of investment, let's say, right? So getting something outside of the core company is really important for speed and freedom. And, you know, it, it's like the mothership sometimes because of serving existing clients will sometimes kill new ideas because something that has no revenue is never going to be more important than something that has a ton <laughs> right, of existing right, revenue. Right. Let's be honest, right? We're all running businesses here. So InvestNet is really great about building innovation on the outside so that it can, so that it has the freedom to breathe. You know, all of those things are kind of components to how, how we do things quickly and, and how we continue to innovate. So you're talking a lot about technology and experimentation and trial and error and all good. Let's talk about the other side of the equation. That's the human side. So how do you incorporate that? And obviously there's um, code and all all this technology stuff that gets done. How do you factor in that human element? And I'm sure that gets to user experience and just you're well connected to advisors. So talk a little bit about how that you're making sure that the advisor is taken care of because it doesn't get said unless they say it. And then you mentioned earlier that you you pay attention to what consumers want and need or maybe not getting. So maybe talk about that human aspect. Yeah. I mean, and and this this goes to one of my core beliefs and my my philosophy on on the advisor space in general. 
I think the advisor space is completely evolving and advisors are becoming more relationship managers, life coaches, and, and guidance counselors, really. And everything that we do, everything that we're automating, everything that we're building, everything that we're bringing together is intended to power the human advisor and is intended to give the human advisor more freedom and time to be that coach for their clients. In my view, the advisor space is becoming more irreplaceable because of the use of technology rather than less. I know a lot of people view these technology advancements as threats to advisors. I don't believe that. I believe that technology right now especially a lot of the stuff that I'm experimenting with that I play around with, a lot of the apps that I'm using, the technology is creating and curating and incubating future advisor clients. Advisor as client, you're saying? No, I'm saying tomorrow's advisor's clients. Like I'm more likely to go reach out to an advisor because I have invested in Bitcoin and because I have used Rally Road for private placements of securitized um, assets, I'm more likely to you go reach out to an advisor because I failed on Robinhood by myself, right? So I think that all of these technologies that people are trying and using are making them more likely to reach out to an advisor in the future for help, for complex financial needs, for tax purposes, for everything that that these technologies are creating, I think that the advisor space becomes even stronger in the future. And that's why I really embrace this stuff. And the best thing that we can do for advisors, and we, we continue to focus on this at InvestNet as well, is educate them and give them all of the tools that they need to deliver access for their clients to products like this in the future. Just today, we launched a new impact investing education series for advisors. We have all of the tools that an advisor needs to marry their clients' values with their investments. The next thing we had to do was educate them so that they can easily talk to their clients about this and use this technology. To us, it's all about giving the advisor education and access and making the advisor look good, right? We want to yep. make the human advisor yep. look good to their clients and give them this kind of ease of use. Um, so I'm, I'm very, very, very bullish on the human advisor in the future. So let's talk what it might look like three to five years out. We're simpatico on the topic of technology's job is to make the advisor look good and deliver greater value. Uh, I'm biased, as I think you know, around quantifying the benefits so that the advisor can say, here's, here's what I can do for you and here's how much more money you're going to have. I think that's part of the future from at least where I sit. So technology then needs to become easier and easier for them not only to use, but then to share with a client so that when they're providing that coaching counseling, there's some validation around what they're doing, why they're doing it, and so on. I expect that to speed up to get more, you know, in place, you know, less input and more output, more uh, wisdom than the process might suggest. Uh, that all said, what does it look like? We go out three to five years. What do you think the the future of advice looks like in terms of what that advisor-client interaction looks like? I think it looks a lot like what's happening in, in social and consumer behavior today. It's all about access and it's all about changing behaviors, actually. And it's going to become a lot more behavioral. 
So I'm also a user of Noom. <laughs> You'd think I spend all day staring at my phone. Maybe that's why my neck hurts. <laughs> so I'm also a user of Noom. And, and really what that's doing is it's changing my behaviors and my habits to help me live a healthier physical life. And I think the future of financial advice looks a lot like this, where the data and the access empowers an advisor to help their clients live a healthier financial life. So I see in the future this moment where no one has to shop for the best financial products anymore. It's all delivered through the advisor. And the advisor can say, hey, Danny, don't spend that money. We're going to borrow that money because you're doing better in the market. And here's the best loan for you. You don't have to shop. You don't have to talk to anyone else. I know what you need. I have access. I, the advisor, have access to the best financial product for you. And I'm going to help you get it easily and seamlessly. You don't have to shop. You don't have to compare. I've got it at my fingertips. And that is going to go for investments and loans and insurance products and banking products, any kind of financial product the advisor is going to have access to, the best thing for you, curated at her fingertips. Easy. And then the role of the advisor becomes not only giving you that access, but also helping you change your behaviors to live a healthier financial life, whether that is in spending or in, you know, how you're, how you're allocating your, your assets, how you're handling your income. It's all going to be behavioral nudges and it's all going to be, you know, tracked and, and using data the same way that a product like, like Noom does with your eating habits, let's say. Well, I couldn't agree more. And of course, the challenge is what you just described it goes back to what something you said when we first got started in this on this podcast, and that is everything needs to be interconnected. That your risk and tax and cost and all the other factors, your desire to invest in a particular way, ESG kind of orientation, all that gets factored in. So the best product that might come up, it's far less, and you said this earlier, but just to reconfirm, it's far less about which product per se, but it's how you connect all of the products that add up to the best solution. You get that right? Exactly. Exactly. And if you think about it, I, I, I hate to make this a pitch for InvestNet, but my goodness, is InvestNet in a really great place to be the one to deliver on this, considering we have the data, we've started really moving along our exchanges. And exchanges are, are just what you said, Jack. It's taking all the products, putting them together and giving the advisor access to them. So if you need a loan, I have the best one for you. Well, when you explain that, not everyone may know about the exchanges because I know you have them for insurance, for credit, for when you explain that a little bit. Yes, we do. Yep. Yep. So we have um, InvestNet has created these exchanges and we've done them, you know, outside of the core of InvestNet, which is what I was explaining before, how we get things done quickly and are able to innovate easily. We've created an insurance exchange, an advisor credit exchange, which is lending, a trust exchange. And I believe there's another exchange that I, I'm not quite sure if, if that's public at the time of this podcast or not. But really what it's doing is it's giving advisors the access and the ability to deliver these solutions for their clients. So I'll use the credit exchange as an example. If an advisor looks at this dashboard of credit, what they're seeing is a long list of their clients and it's giving you right up front what that client 
qualifies for in terms of all of these different types of loans, whether they're residential or securities backed, et cetera. And it is giving the rates right up front, best rate. And it's giving the advisor like a one click sort of printout or email of that loan option for the client. So it's easy access delivered right from the advisor and the client never has to interact with, you know, you don't have to send them to the bank, right? You don't have to go send them to somebody else who wants to dig into their financial picture and who wants to talk to them about their investments. It's a really fantastic way for the advisor to get access to the best product at the best time for their client. And that's, you know, credit exchange is just one example. Like I was saying, there's also the insurance exchange and the trust exchange. And we really see the future of advice being, and the advisor being the the facilitator of, of these financial products that will help their clients full financial picture. That's great. So we're going to move toward wrapping up. I want to ask you a couple questions as we uh, say farewell. But I like talking to you so much. Yeah, (laughs) actually we can go on. One of the things we're trying to do with our (laughs) podcast is, uh, and actually we'll have you back because we just have scratched the surface on the stuff that you're working on. But in this crazy environment where we all live, there's not enough time for anything. So we try to keep it short. But with that in mind, if you were to pick three things that you've touched on a bunch here, what are three takeaways? What what would you want people to remember from our discussion today that might prove valuable in their in their daily lives? I will say, and I'll, I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning of this half hour and say, you know, with my non-traditional path of getting into finance and wealth tech, one not fitting in sometimes is your superpower, you right? Know. So doing things differently, not fitting in, having a different perspective is your superpower. It is not something that you should hide. Two, I think experimentation, experiment as much as you can, build in public, talk about the things you're doing, let people come disagree with you because those disagreements, they just make your idea stronger, Right. In the long run, we want we want those things. And uh, don't be afraid of failure. Yeah. Yeah. And you exemplify all the above and really advance our industry you have and you continue to. It sounds like you're in the in the perfect spot. So let me ask you one final question before we say farewell for now. And that is, what is something about you that is not part of your day job, but uh, another part of your life that people don't know about you that they might find interesting? I would say... Surprisingly, and this is sort of opposite from what you would think of me, I just moved. Um, I bought a new house in Pennsylvania and I picked a 220-year-old home that is rich with history, still has some of the original woodwork and has all of the paperwork, including handwritten wills, bequeathing the property and the Grace. and the area around it um, through generations of families. And so I'm kind of a history buff and I really love to learn about and really immerse myself to the point of living in it, the history of everyone. And that's surprising, I suppose, about me since I'm so tech forward and I spend a lot of time looking down at my phone. <laughs> also, as I recall, aren't you from Staten Island? I am, yes. So that you've come a long way. Yeah. As, yeah. as it were. <laughs> <laughs> you are right, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, just to complete the thought, I too live in a 200-year-old-plus house. Wow. I didn't know we had that in common, Jack. Yeah. Our house was built in 1813, and 
it was uh, actually the Continental Army didn't have money, so they gave uh, a chunk of land to Captain Daniel Draper, who led the local militia at Lexington and Concord in Westwood, Mass., which is West Dedham way back in the day and west of Boston. And uh, the house across the street is uh, the son's house, and the, the house behind us was the granddaughter's house, and the property we're on is now a development, but uh, was a farm at one point, a dairy farm. So uh, it goes wow. way back. So cool. Yeah, it's fun. I love it. Yeah, really fun. I'll send you pictures. <laughs> yes, we, we will do that. So uh, this has been a blast. Thanks so much for sharing your thoughts. And uh, we look forward to the next time. There will be a next time. So uh, thanks so much for uh, spending some time with us. Thank you, Jack. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wealth Tech on Deck, our ongoing conversation about improving financial outcomes for all. This podcast is brought to you by LifeYield and produced by Reverb. Subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect with our host, Jack Sherry, on LinkedIn and Twitter. And for more information about our perspective on the future of financial advice, visit our website at lifeyield.com.